Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish. Here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday role-playing game. In this case, I am running the Shadow Dark role-playing game set in the world of the gloaming, published by Arcane Library. Shadow Dark RPG is a lightweight D&D style, old school game that has modern sensibilities in the mechanics and design. We've been running a bunch of sessions of it now. My players really love it. I love it. It's really a lot of fun. And we're going to talk all about my game, and we're going to prepare for my game today. This show is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to exclusive adventures, exclusive tips and tricks for running your role-playing games. The City of Arches Sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, bunch of exclusive stuff, dedicated Discord server, monthly Q&A, and a whole bunch more. But most of all, the patrons help me put on shows like this. To the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your outstanding support. I killed another character. I don't know. I didn't kill the character. Circumstances killed the character. I am but an antenna to help channel another world. And sometimes the information that flows across that antenna burns a character to death. And that's kind of what happened. So we made a... So one of the questions I have with Shadow Dark, and it's kind of surprising it's not in the, in the book itself, is like, what happens when a downed character takes damage? Seems like a pretty common circumstance that you could have a character at zero. In Shadow Dark, a character drops to zero. You, on their next turn, they roll a D4 to see how long they live, which is actually very generous for a, a deadly RPG. That if you can, you basically get to go, if a monster knocks you down, to zero you drop and then you have a number of round you have a number of turns that you're down before you have been rolled to see whether or not you're gonna die or not you don't roll right away instead you roll on your next turn and that tells you how many rounds you have how many turns you have before you die which means you usually have at least like one round plus whatever whoever was between you and whoever knocked you down so let's say two of the other characters go between you and the creature that knocked you down. Those two characters have opportunities to run over and try to help you. And then it's your turn and you roll. And the minimum you could roll is a one. And then you have a whole other round for them to come and get you. That's all actually a fair bit of time, right? That's, that's, that's quite a bit. But there isn't any rule for taking dam for what happens to those rounds or what happens if you take damage while you're at zero. And I went over to the Discord Shadow Dark group and asked about it. And there were a bunch of different opinions on it. Some people said you should do whatever makes sense in the fiction. If a ogre comes over and spends its entire turn caving in your skull with a giant club, then you probably shouldn't get any. You're just dead, right? It took all of its turn to go kill you. You're probably dead. Another group said, oh, we do it where you lose a round, you know, whatever was your round ticker goes down for every amount. So if you have, if you roll and you roll a four and you're hit twice by damage, now you only have two. I like that one a lot. That's actually the one I ended up, I ended up going with. So a bunch of people had a bunch of different opinions. Kelsey confirmed that there isn't really a default and that it's kind of up to the GMs to decide how, to, how they want to handle that. I think there should be something. If it were me, I would have put something. And anyway, I decided to go with a couple of things. One is that they do roll the die. But so one thing is I roll the die. So only I know the number of rounds that the characters will live. And that puts some urgency into this situation. I like this idea because of this idea that like in fifth edition, you could have the GM roll death saves. And that way the player wouldn't know, are they dying or are they living okay? And I thought that was kind of interesting. So I was like, what if I did that in Shadow Dark? And I sort of held back. I'm not sure though. I think I might go back to them rolling so that they know. Because it, it, this felt a little cheap. So I rolled, so a character was dropped to zero 
they were they were going into let me pull up my albert rodeo so they were they went to drusilla's hut drusilla is a witch they had killed her she's a hag they killed her they knew that she had a place and they're looking for a cure to the curse of Mugdalblub. And so they said, we need to go to her hut. Well, they learned from, uh, she had a, a skull that she was carrying around, sentient skull, because apparently every campaign I ever run has a sentient skull in it. And the sentient skull said, oh yeah, she's got a bunch of, she's got a big laboratory beneath her hut. So they went to the laboratory. It was this, it was a lot of fun. They crawled through it. They got attacked by a Hydra as a random encounter. So they ran like hell because you definitely want to run like hell from a Hydra. They closed the doors. But when they were getting attacked by the Hydra, the Hydra knocked one of the characters to zero and was going to go eat them. And then they were going in the front door and they saw that there were traps and they managed to get around the traps, but not disable the traps. So a couple of them were inside the main laboratory area, which is this area over here. And the Hydra is chasing them, but the traps were around the door. And then another character grabbed the other downed character and ran through the door without saying anything about trying to avoid the traps. And they hadn't really seen the traps because they weren't even in the area. And the traps went off and they took a bunch of damage. And I don't know if they were dropped. They took a bunch of damage, but the character they carried had only one death save and died. And so they burned, they, they dragged the character through and burned them to death. And that, that is the end of one of the other characters. So they, uh, so it all worked out. And I mean, so the player was like, oh, and it was a little bit. So, it, you know, the problem was the character who died, the player who's a great dude, the player who had the character who died is the same one who had left during one of the rounds and came back and had thought somebody had been healed and they hadn't been healed. And then they died from a lack of healing. And he felt bad about that. <laughs> His character's dead, too. So we have two dead PCs. But that's cool because they, they like making new PCs. And that's been a lot of fun, which is an interesting thing about these, these quote unquote sort of deadly RPGs is when you, there's a, there's a thought, like if there's kind of a deeper thought that I have, if you make it really easy for players to bring in new characters quickly and at the same general power level as the character they lost, are you really being a hardcore GM? Because it's not really a detriment. You're like, oh, I just have another character now. And the characters are so random anyway that in many cases I've seen characters die and the one they get is better because they got better stats. They got new equipment. They have all the old equipment from the character who died plus all the new equipment that they picked up. So you're actually better off dead because you get a whole new character and you get all the stuff from both characters. That seems funny. So it's like when when death and when 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 you have both death and bringing in new characters as part of the system i don't know that this whole sort and you know i think that there's definitely a sort of a can be and there isn't i'm not going to say in general but there can be for a lot of this sort of deadly rpgs this sort of you know macho toxic masculine sort of oh it's got to be hardcore right you're like it's not really that hardcore <laughs> Because right? you're you're not in love, you know, players who are used to playing this aren't in love with their characters anyway, because they know they're going to die. And they uh, and then they get new characters. So like gameplay wise, it's not really changing. It's sort of like what people and Dark Souls is like a seriously hardcore. And everybody, again, that talks about another like toxic masculine, like, oh, I'm so good at Dark Souls. I love Dark Souls, by the way. I'm a huge, huge, huge Dark Souls fan. But I just I don't think that it defines you as a person. The fact that you can beat, you know, Melania. I beat her five times now. And you know, the other thing is you have infinite lives. And like, I remember Contra and, you know, games in the Super NES day, but you had three lives and that was it. And you would, you know, you die. That was the end of the game. You get really far and you die. And that was the end of the game. So 
Yeah, but the, to me, that idea that like if you make it really easy to bring in new characters, I don't know that you're really hindering people <laughs> by having their characters die. So it's interesting. It's a different style, and that's fine, and we're enjoying it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not knocking the whole thing, but. You know, that I, I think the idea that like, oh, the kids these days, there, there's here's the philosophy that you get. And I see this a lot on YouTube that, oh, the kids these days with their deep, rich characters and, you know, you've got people out there like Mike Shea who are putting their thumb on the scale with their dials of monster difficulty and anything like that. And that's not the hardcore D&D we had. And you're like, the game is the game. And if you make if you let people drop in with their characters, now you could be more hardcore and say you start at zero. You start with a zero level character or a level one character or whatever, and you have to level back up again. And you could do that, but I asked the dark, I asked the shadow dark people, like, well, when do you bring in a new character? How do you do it? And they said, well, it depends on the style of game. But a lot of times you just bring in the character at the same level as everybody else, so they don't have to spend, you know, sixteen sessions at lower level. So, you know, there are already, so there's lots of different ways to do that too. So you could do a harder core version where you start at level one when you die. And then that, what it means is the whole game's progress is going to be very low. And you might have somebody who's got a six level character and they are really worried about dying because they're going to have to start level one again. And that would kind of suck. So, you know, I don't know, but it's interesting to see. And that, that, the, the one I saw is like the, I've now had two players with characters that have died and both of them are not upset about it at all. And that kind of violates that whole idea of like, oh, it's hardcore. So, yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. So what did they do? They went to Drusilla's hut. They got attacked by Hydra. It was like, I'll tell you, exploration is really scary. Like they're definitely worried about, you know, going to the right place and figuring things out and worrying about, they hate dark water, man. You talk about the black liquid, you know, black oily like water and they're like, ah, so they got in there. They found the book. There was a lot of like, like our whole purpose here is to find the, and they didn't find the cure, but what they found was a book of, of Drusilla's experiments that said that a cure, with this book, a cure is, po- she doesn't want to make a cure, right? So the idea that she would have the cure here is, is unlikely. And instead, what she has is a book that if you follow it correctly, you could make a cure. But in order to get that, you need to have the essence of Mugdoblub, a, a pure sample of Mugdoblub. And the only place where you can get that, she didn't have any here. The only place you can get that is in Bitter Mold Keep. And that kind of did my choo-choo railroad go to Bitter Mold Keep. And I want him to go to Bitter Mold Keep because it's part of, it's, you know, part, Curse Scroll 1, which is what this is all based on. This whole campaign is based on Curse Scroll 1 by Arcane Library. It's really fun. And the big dungeon part of Curse Scroll 1 is Bitter Mold Keep in the latter half of this zine. I love the zine format too. This is really great. Like this, this style, I, you know, like if Kelsey and others just continue to do like quarterly cursed scrolls that include these sort of mini settings plus dungeons plus a couple of character options each one of these is like a xanathar's plus a campaign setting like you get a lot of material for it this game could have legs forever like you could really you know and maybe throw some optional rules in there like i think it would be if it were me you know but who am i if it were me i think one thing that would be pretty neat would be like a quarterly zine of cursed scroll that wouldn't have to be necessarily like you know kelsey's got things to do but you know so maybe she doesn't publish it every time but like arcane library would publish it and having these like different settings that kind of capture these classic areas and that have like fun dungeons have new character options then have some new like hey here's some house rules that maybe for this work really well for this campaign or that you might want to incorporate in something else i think that would be a good way to experiment with house rules in this and not say like oh we're not changing the core of the game 
the hideous halls of Mugnoblob, which is Bitter Mold Keep, and it's got a big dungeon in here. And I wanted him to go here because it's a level one dungeon. Now, again, power curve is really, really shallow uh, for characters in Shadow Dark. So I think if they go in at level three, it's not like it's going to be super easy. Uh, in fact, they might have a, a better time because they have a little bit more capability. Here's some giant leeches, tentacle leeches. Those are cool. Um, so I wanted to go there. So so where we're talking, and then it's a big two-part big two part dungeon. Uh, so what we're going to be doing today, and we may only have three players today. I have a bunch of folk uh, that are not are not in today. And one thing I also find about Shadow Dark is that it works really well with three players. Like it, a lightweight game with with even three players, you know, I think is a really good time. So yeah, I'm, I don't know why like with fifth edition, you would think you want more. I mean, you probably don't need more than three. I guess it depends on the style of the game that you're running. So, but we're going to prep for today's game. So we're going to click generate a session planning template. This is all done in Notion. You can find a link to my campaign builder in Notion in the show notes. And this is eight, the gloaming and our characters. So now we got dead characters. So the character who died, Bug Juice, dead. Bug Juice, remember him well. Was a dwarf wizard. And is now dead. And Thalos dead. Put some extra Ds. And we will drag them down. So I have a new character who I don't know yet. And we're going to be probably be introduced with them today. So we'll see there. Holy cow. Dyson Logos is here. Dyson, you're the best. This, these maps. I can't tell you. I can't speak enough awesome about your awesome maps. And not only how awesome your maps are. How awesome you are in making those maps available to all of us look at that 1200 maps i love these maps so much my i think is it this week's article was it last week's article no so dyson logos who's here dyson logos is here in the chat in our twitch chat i'm so honored my article this week on Sly Flourish is about using your maps, you in particular, your, your maps in particular, and how awesome it is to use your maps. I have a whole article coming out this Monday, and it's going to be in the newsletter, which is not you. Everybody should subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter, but if you want to see it, you should subscribe because you can get the map. These maps are just killer. They're killer for everything. They're, I've used these for Numenera. I've used them for, of course, every flavor of D&D from the darkest, grimmest you know, version of D&D all the way up to Eberron. Like they work for all the settings and in just, you know, science fiction or fantasy or dark fantasy or high fantasy, whatever. It's so, yeah, they're so great. And they, they work well in all the VTTs. They're just fantastic. I love these maps. And then you give you give them away, you get a big pile of them commercially, like your commercial maps, so people can build products off it. Fantastic. Like, oh, so valuable. So much. You know, this is one of those resources that's just so, so great. Oh, man, in love with, in love with them. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you do for the RPG community because these are just outstanding. They're really, really great. And I love them. They're perfect for Shadow Dark. As you can see, here I am using, using your map. I love the gridless versions because I'm a theater of the mind guy. And so the fact that you make gridless versions works really well. And they're just, they're just outstanding. Thank you so much. If you haven't checked them out, check out Dyson Logos. Join Dyson's Patreon. Where's their Patreon link? Do you have a Patreon link on their homepage? Where's your Patreon link? Oh my God. If I have one complaint, it's that I don't see a, is there a Patreon link that I'm missing? Con, con. You don't want that. You don't want to talk to people. Is it? it 
I want to find your Patreon link. There it is. Patreon supported. Click that link. The link to support Dyson Logos. Let's go. Become a member. Help the community. Help Dyson help the community by making awesome maps. Right down there. Bottom of each map post. Put it right at the top, dude. Right here. Patreon. If it were me. If it were me. I think it is me. I think I do that, don't I? Yeah. Boom. Patreon. <laughs> Make it as easy as possible for people to join your stuff. So, yeah. Oh, I would love your work so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Enough fan, fanboy, fanboy stuff. Uh, on the full screen version on the blog, it's in the upper right, but not in the smaller format. Gotcha. All right. So let's go back to our notes. So what's the strong start? So they left. Oh, I know. I know exactly what my strong start to be, which is, I think, in last week's game, they, one of the things that, one of the groups I wanted to introduce is, I had an NPC. Yeah. Ju Jupiter Wormhood. So we're going to have Jupiter meets the characters. I think we will roll roll a random encounter and then have Jupiter Wormwood, the scout of, of Titania, meet the characters. So I want to do like, I like to do like a staged encounter. You don't want to do a little like too much of like, oh, you're facing a really hard thing. And then a character jumps out of the woods and saves the day. I mean, there might be a little bit of that. I don't know, but I, I, we'll, we'll see. The other one is that they could come out and she's already defeated the counter. I'll, I'll, I'll get an idea for that once I roll the encounter. And I think I'm going to do that at the game. I think I'm going to do a little bit more of like the forced improvisation of instead of figuring it out now, I'm going to do it at the game itself. So they meet Judah and learn about Titania. They could jump out and save the NPC. That could be an option too, that she could be having trouble. That's not, that's not a bad idea. So they're going to learn about Titania and the fate of the gloaming. In which case, uh, I know that we normally don't tie secrets and clues to specific individuals, but this one is very likely to come from her. So I'm going to put some secrets and clues that are tied to the, the fate of the gloaming. I think is going to be a part of it. Then the hex crawl to bitter mold keep. So we're not really outlining scenes very much. And then crawling bitter mold keep. And instead, we have the quest, recover the pure sample of Mugdalblub to concoct the cure to the curse of Mugdalblub, which has overtaken the town of, what's it called, Wardenwood? And some of our heroes. So we know what their quest is, and that's long enough that we don't really need to worry about other quests at the moment. We don't have to think about like what other things could happen because they're not at the end of it yet. One of the things when we're kind of prepping and going through our eight steps and stuff like that is if we think that they're going to finish a quest during our next session, we want to ensure that we know what options are available to them. We want to have the options available in our prep now. So this is that thinking one horizon, thinking two horizons out, that we want to know what's happening now, but we also want to have an idea about what could happen next. And we don't need anything more than like the quest. We don't have to fill out a whole dungeon. We don't have to come up with giant paragraphs of stuff because we don't know that they're going to pick one. But a lot of times what I'll do is I'll say, okay, what are three other paths what are the three choices that the characters might have or two choices that the characters might have? Where would they go to next when they're done with this? If they're halfway through Bitter Mold Keep and I think that they're going to finish it or that there's a chance they could finish it, it's worth my time to say, what happens after Bitter Mold Keep? What happens when this is done? What options are available? Where could they go? What, what do they want to do? And 
that way they you can drop those options in and you can hopefully do it close to the end of the session the players pick one and then that's what you prep the next session so that's a very efficient way of it's not sandboxy you can be sandboxy you could say instead of having three options you could just have a whole bunch of options that they've kind of determined and then they pick where they want to go and sometimes it looks like that where it's way more than three and that's why you have like three plus infinite choices here are the three things you could do but you could do anything else that you want to do too and then that's more sandboxy but if you offer at least two or three choices that are pretty different then you're not really running a true railroady sort of campaign instead you're saying hey, you now have these other places that you can go. There's these other things that you can do. And sometimes they, they expand out. There's lots of things. And then they can kind of narrow back down to very specific things that when you're getting closer to the end of a campaign. It's not knocking like railroad campaigns. We talk, you know, many people have described that, you know, sometimes players prefer it. They, they want to know that there's like one single singular path that you're following and that there isn't this big, super, you know, wide range of, of possibilities. So... Yeah, so that 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 idea can work well. You know, that that idea of like think think you know, think one game out. Think know know that you have enough material to run your next session, the current session that you're prepping for. And then have just enough to know where you would go the session next. And that's to ensure that you at the end of the game, you know where you need to go next. And and that I think is it's it's a little tricky sometimes. It's tricky to get it right. So, you know, Jim DePuka says, I've been doing the three option thing the last couple of sessions. Now I need to figure out how to do that elegantly. Sometimes things just aren't elegant. Again, don't put so much pressure on yourself. Like, you know, we're just running games and the players are fine and we're all just having a good time around the table. So, so I don't think elegantly, like, yeah, I don't think it has to be super, you know, in flow in this story. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but it's still like, hey, you know, we're playing a game here. What's our plan for next time? You know, you, you have these three options available. You don't want to do so like when they're packing up their stuff and they're heading out the door. You ideally want to have a little bit of a time after the end of the session. Or even if you're not fully done, you can still say, you know, by the way, next time you're going to be facing, you know, Mugdoblub or whatever they're going to do. Where do you think you might want to go after that? It, it, because if you need to know, like I, right after that, I don't know what we're going to do. You might have to ask. So sometimes it's not elegant, but it's important and it makes the game run smooth. So it's probably worth paying attention to. So what secrets and clues do we have? So I think, so we have, it's very funny to me that the gloaming and shadow dark are meant to be these very sort of, you know, dirt under the fingernail style, low power, hardcore adventures where, where like a wolf can be a real problem. And I'm getting into these giant machinations of the gods. But I think that's, you know, sometimes that's where things head. So we have the, a bunch of different gods that are doing a bunch of different things here. And those include, so Kytheros, one secret is Kytheros. Do we have Kytheros? Yeah, we have Kytheros, the Lord of Time, thinks the gloaming is a dead pathway. Those new pop-ups are annoying as hell. There's probably a way to turn that off. A dead timeline, right? His plan, he has already fed it to Almazot, the devourer of fallen worlds. Titania, the Fae Queen knows that Kytheros plans to have Almazot devour the gloaming. She seeks to recover its hidden treasures before the fall of the world. Almazot's devour fallen worlds is sending their herald 
And the Herald's name is, oh God, I'm terrible at these names. Underlook. To the gloaming. Oh, stupid pop-ups. Ah, the Herald of Amalgam to the gloaming to prepare it for disassembly. For, for, for ingestion. That's a better word. That works. So the relationship between Kytheros, Almazots, and Undaluk are all known by the characters. They now are, are pretty aware of these groups. They're not aware of Titania. And I think it'll be interesting to introduce Titania. Kytheros believes the gloaming is at an end because of the heavy influence of Mugdoblub. I think that's the only, is that the only influence that is making Kytheros believe that the world needs to be devoured? Because he's the one once devoured by, um, by, by Almazot, the world, the gloaming, the digested version of the gloaming ends up in the world of Marrow, domain of Almazot and Undaluk. These, some of these secrets I've done before, but I think they still work. The Knights, the Knights of St. Yidrith have accepted a terrible curse to fight back, to fight back the forces of evil. These include Mugdoblub, but also those they believe have been cursed or twisted by other dark forces. The Green Knights would not make the sacrifice of their own souls to save the gloaming. The Knights of St. Yidrith destroyed them, those who remained. What other secrets do we have? There's lots of different secrets that are going on. I think a big one, Mugdoblob, has come to the gloaming and resides deep in bitter mold. Keep. That's a big secret. The Elder God is here. Are there any other, let's, let's, let's look at our curse scroll here and let's go to their, that section on the gods and things like that. Patrons. So we have Almazots, Kytheros, Mugdoblob, Titania, the Willow Man. Ah, so what's the Willow Man's is Titania's guardian in the gloaming, but it too has become cursed by Marrow and isn't entirely reliable. Ah. I think that covers all of the main sort of patrons and their things going on. I'd like the, the sorcerer there. This is kind of a, a, a hint that I threw out uh, a while ago, but I think, I think there's something there that could be useful. And that is the sorcerer, Haldren. And I think, do we have a Haldren? So we're going to make a new one. And let's see, a Finmir Lake. I'm just going to copy some text. And I think, let's see, 1607, the vile well. I'll just paste these places into Haldren's. So I've got some information about Haldren the Elf Sorcerer. I think that that would be handy because I think Haldren can tell them a lot of different things and might have things, but is stuck. So that could be a fun future quest for Haldren. Backlink is here. Oh, we'll make Haldren a current NPC. Oh, this is into an order. Sort. By last edited. I'm going to do it the other way. Descending. There we go. And we're going to make a Aldrin a current NPC. I don't think, if we look at our notes, I keep doing this. I'm going to fix this right now. We're going to go back to here, edit the template, 
and go down and remove lack there. I don't think we need a lazy benchmark here. I don't think we need a monster section, do we? I'll keep it, but I don't think we need it. Treasure we could use, NPCs are good, fantastic locations are good, secrets and clues are good, all the rest of this is fine. So the template is now good and that's all set. These are all, these are all fine. And the people are all fine. Drusilla's dead. I think we could probably get rid of this guy. I don't think we need him anymore. He kind of disappeared. The love-struck dwarf that they met. So I got my strong start. I've got my scenes. I've got my secrets and clues. I got locations, which is they're headed to Bittermold Keep, so I can move that right to the top. I can kind of sort these. The Meyer Castle ruins are pretty low. They're in Drusilla's hut, so we'll put that there. Uh, we can put Warden Wood there. I don't think they're going back to Warden Wood, but you never know. The Twisted Marrow Tree, I think, would be kind of fun. Jupiter is going to be the primary NPC. Drusilla's dead. But now they have the skull, and I forget its name. I think I had it last session, so let's take a look. Memnon's skull is an NPC, and it's intelligent. I love intelligent skulls, so that's cool. So it's funny because I don't think I need a lot else to run the game. So let's let's do a quick look over our hex crawl rules. So I now have a new hex crawl reference, which expand expands a little bit on the hex rules that are in Shadow Dark. Th you know, so these are specific to the gloaming. So the hexes are two miles across. The walking speed on normal terrain takes roughly two hours to cross a hex. So they can cover two miles in two hours. The gloaming woods are considered unsafe. You check for an encounter every three. So every other hex is when you check for an encounter. So every two hexes, every other hex, you, 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 you check for an encounter. When rolling an encounter, I had this question, do you roll one on a 1d6 or a three on a 1d6? I don't know the answer to that. I'm pretty sure it's one on a, I think we, I think I did get an answer from the discord server. And then I have a, I think I have a weather table now. Yeah, so I have a weather table. So these are the steps, and this seems arduous. Like it's like a lot of steps, but you have like per journey. So let's see, we'll do like, you have per journey, you have per day, and then per hex. And then each day, expend resources. So per journey, so per journey, determine the destination, direction, distance, speed, and terrain. Have players select roles. So this is optional for Shadow Dark. You don't really have to do this for Shadow Dark, but I think you can. And I like the same three roles that I'm using that I have in the Lazy DM Companion, which is Pathfinder, Scout, and Quartermaster. Who is following the trail and making sure you're not getting lost? Who is making sure that you don't run into nasty monsters? Who's keeping an eye out for monsters? And who's making sure that you're managing your resources, that your food's not spoiling and that sort of thing. Now, you might not worry too much about it, I did this in Shadow Dark. It was a little clunky. I don't know. I might try it again and talk to the players and see. But you have those three potential roles. Now, Shadow Dark doesn't have those roles defined, but you can define them. You can do whatever you want. Then you determine the danger level. So given the terrain, you know, the terrain in the path, what's the danger, danger level? And that might change if, they, if their terrain changes. So you do that per journey. Hey, we're going from Drusilla's hut over to... Bitter Mold Keep. Is it? Actually, I think I have a map for that. So I think Bitter Mold Keep. Yeah, so they know where Drusilla's hut is. They are now right here in the woods. I can clear out a little bit more here. 
using the hex crawl with owlbear has been great and I, i'm pr i'm 95 sure bitter mold keep is 702 but we're going to be we're going to be 100 sure bitter mold keep yeah right there so i will show them where that is so they know where bitter mold keep is they know what general direction they need to go and then they can decide how they want to go there that they could actually go across the water if they want to they could take the road if they want to but eventually they're going to have to go off into the they're eventually going to have to go off into the woods then each day and i how many hexes did we determine they could crawl in a day that the, the the hexes are two miles across walking speed is two hours i think they can do four hours of travel in a day what does it say let's go into the shadow dark book itself let's go to the great book starting terrain and type from the hex table each time the characters move in an empty hex roll a new hex table and treat the step this is about rolling for hexes okay this is that's for building maps overland travel can travel up to eight hours a day so they could cover four hexes in a day that's a lot i think they can actually cover more right oh no because we determined that it is that they're walking they can cross so yeah so at this speed they could cover 12 miles in a day which would be two hexes per day if we did it normally but instead it's two mile hexes which means it's only a couple days journey, I think, to get from the Drusilla's place over to Bittermold Keep is only a couple of days. So that makes sense. I guess that, you know, travel is, travel is a little, everything's a little closer here in the gloaming. I'm glad I'm thinking about this ahead of time. Characters can cover four hexes in a day, right? Do I have that, is my math right? It takes two hours to cross a hex, so... I think it's, I think I have that. I think, I think the math was weird and I decided that it's going to take them two hours to cross a hex. Uh, so they could cross four hexes. So if they take the journey, it could be one, two, three, four. So they can go one to here, two, three, four, and then one, two, three, and then four. So it'd be two days journey. So I think that makes sense. I think, I think, I think we've decided like, because there's like weird dividing by three sort of stuff, right? They can... It takes them four hours to cross a six mile hex. So then how much, how many hours does it take? And I'm like, I'm not doing sub hour travel. So I decided it takes two hours to cross a hex, which means they can cross four hexes in a day. They're unsafe. So you check for an encounter every other hex. So every two hexes, we check for an encounter. They'll probably have one encounter though. I think I'm going to do, I think, I think I'm going to put my finger on the scale and make sure that they have at least one encounter and they will see the results of other encounters, I think even if they don't cross an encounter. One, one way, this is my, one of my favorite tricks for, for doing these kind of exploration things. One of my favorite tricks is even if they don't roll the encounter, you can roll to see what encounter was here before or what encounter is coming here. And the characters can learn that. So they can find tracks of things that came by or they can learn of, hey, we're getting signs in the woods that something's going, coming in. So you think about like the woods are a living place. They can see the encounters either after they have happened and what direction they went or the encounters that are coming up. And that way it feels like the world is alive without them having to engage in an actual random encounter. It's a cool, it's a cool trick. So you just roll the encounter anyway. It's just, it has, it's already happened. The other one is roll twice and have the two encounters clash together previously. So we'll, we'll do a fun one right now. So we're going to go to the woods. This is the shadow dark book. 
We're going to go to Game Master. We're going to go to Random Encounter Tables. And we're going to go to, they have a forest. Forest, right? So we have our forest encounters. This is a D100 table. Let me get my dice. And do, 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 D100, D10. And we are going to roll an encounter. And we roll 43. So 43 is 2D6 muddy kobolds leap out and demand a passing toll. Then we roll again. And we get 41. 41 is 1d6 giant spiders scuttle along the trees. So what you do is you have the results of this. You could even just roll like on odds, the giant spiders win. On evens, the kobolds win. And even. So you see a bunch of dead giant spiders with spears piercing out of them and a couple of dead kobolds. And maybe one of the kobolds is wrapped up in the web and they left it behind. And they thought he was dead, but he's not. But the kobold, the rest of the kobolds moved on. So even though they didn't run into the random encounter, that's a really good one, right? Even though they didn't run into the random encounter, they found the results of a bunch of kobolds who fought a bunch of giant spiders. And the kobolds won. The spiders are dead, but one of the kobolds was left behind poisoned, but not dead. This one's not dead yet, right? And so now they have a new kobold NPC they can talk to. That's pretty great. That's good enough. I almost want to write it in. But, you know, I think I might roll another one. I could I could stick that one as like a, you know, if I if I run out of good ideas, so far hasn't happened. We could have kobolds defeated giant spiders and left one of their own behind. So that is a great way. I love that idea of mixing, you know, taking a straightforward random encounter table, roll on it twice, have the two of them clash and have that be a thing that the characters run into when they're exploring. It's a great way to make an exploration sort of event. And then you could also, if you really want to kind of spice things up, is add a location to it. So Shadow Dark has, if I recall, if we go to their Overland Hex Maps, is that where they have it? Points of interest. So you roll another 20-sided die. Nine. And you say a small town. So maybe it was a tiny ruined village of kobolds that got attacked by giant spiders. Uh, you know, and, and you could have that. Or you, right, you got settlement names. So you could kind of pick that. You could also instead pick like a monument. We'll go to the Slyflare's random generator. And we'll pick a monument. And, you know, an oozing star touch tree of corpses. Oh, that's great, right? I love it. Uh, thank you, random generator. An oozing star touch. And that's a Mugdoblob, right? Tree of corpses could be yeah, a mug. You know, what's the oozing part? It could be, is, a, is the curse, is the ooze coming from marrow? Probably. You know, or is it is it cursed by Mugdoblob? Are the kobolds Mugdoblob cultists? Or the spiders Mugdoblob cursed spiders? You can add that whole field to it. So lots of things that you can do. Random encounter tables are great ways to kind of shake up your... Like, isn't that cool? That's cool enough. I think I'm going to use it. So I really dig it. But I think I've got everything I need. So I feel like I feel pretty strong about the hex crawl stuff. My friends and I are just having a really fun time with this adventure. It's just really... It's really good. It's not super deep. It's not hard to prep for. It's fun to run. I really like it. Characters are dying. Burning characters to death. So yeah, it's a good time. Friends... I think we are all done today with our prep for the Lazy RPG prop, uh, Talk Show. If you enjoyed this show and you like stuff like this, the best way to get more stuff like this is to subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. It is absolutely free to sign up. You get a free adventure generator PDF, which includes a lot of tables like this in it. 
Uh, and you get a weekly RPG-related email sent directly to your inbox every Tuesday. You can also support me directly on Patreon. Patrons get access to all kinds of cool exclusive features. The random generator I was just showing is one of theirs. The monthly Q&A, a dedicated Discord server, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, which are packed with tables to do these kinds of things. A bunch of lightweight, low-prep adventures, all got different kinds of stuff you get tools to run your game all great stuff that you get for being a patron of sly flourish and you can support and you can pick up any of my books at the sly flourish bookstore including the lazy dms companion which also has a bunch of tables like this lazy dms workbook which you can have right in front of you to run all kinds of games return to lazy dungeon master which outlines these eight steps and soon forge of foes a book to help you build fifth edition monsters very very easily that will be on the store hopefully in the next couple of weeks friends thank you all so much for hanging out with me today have a great day and get out there and play an rpg